Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. With its rich Wild West history, New Mexico has no shortage of fodder for ghost stories and no shortage of great places to haunt. And Albuquerque may be the easiest place to find some spooky friends to spend your days or nights with. Perhaps you're tired of transparent pals and you're looking for someone different to hang around with. Someone out of this world, perhaps? Well, they got that too. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein. And this is Haunted American History. Originally known as the Whittlesey House, the Albuquerque Press Club was constructed in 1903 as a family residence. Throughout its history, it's changed hands numerous times and even temporarily housed patients from nearby sanitariums. Today, the building operates as a nightclub, where staff and visitors have reported many strange occurrences. These include hearing the sound of high-heeled shoes walking through the bar and lobby, spontaneous piano playings, and unexplained voices. In addition, multiple witnesses have claimed to see the apparition of a woman wearing a black shawl, affectionately dubbed Mrs. M by the staff. Like I said, Albuquerque has no shortage of ghost stories. Like the Arroyo, for instance. In this legend, the weeping woman, or La Llorona, who I've talked about many times in the past, wanders along this draining ditch, crying and searching for her lost children. Thought to have murdered her children years ago, the legend is often told to children by their parents to get them to behave. It's a tale as old as time, and if you've met one weeping woman, apparently you've met them all. There are alleged bright rooms at Carrie Tingley Children's Hospital, and invisible force fields that sometimes prevent people from passing through doors and hallways at this hospital. 
A hissing sound can be heard when these barriers are encountered. And also you can hear sobbing voices and heartbeats have also been reported, along with black-robed figures seen in darkened hallways. Down the ways a little bit, you'll find the Church Street Cafe. This 18-room hacienda nestled in the heart of Old Town dates back to 1709, when it was originally built as a residence by the Ruiz family. For 200 years, the house remained in the family until it was eventually inherited by the youngest, Rufina. Despite its age, this is one of the oldest structures in New Mexico and remained in the family until 1991, when Rufina passed away at the age of 91. After purchasing the property, Marie Coleman began renovating it for the Church Street Cafe and discovered that Rufina's spirit still inhabited the building. But it was actually Rufina's mother, Sarah, who made her presence known through various incidents, such as yelling at contractors and mysteriously moving buckets around. Eventually, after Marie began communicating with Sarah's spirit, her appearances became more frequent, often dressed in a long black dress and having been witnessed by employees and customers alike. We just recently spoke about the remodeling process of a supposedly haunted house and how change can bring about spirits. So this kind of this kind of resonates with things that we've spoken about before. If that wasn't spooky enough for you, there have been reports of screaming, phantom footsteps, and bodies being dragged at a place called the Haunted Hill, located at foothills along Manal Boulevard. Legend has it that an old man once lived in the caves at the top of the hill, where it's reported that he brought women and murdered them there. The apparition of an older man walking and the swinging of a lantern by unseen hands have been described in other reports. I know this episode's all over the place, because Albuquerque literally has too many things to focus on. So I wanted to just dabble a little bit in everything. Obviously, I'm going to come back to this state further down the line and really dive into each one of these things. There's so much history and folklore in these states that just grazing over them, even the ones that I've spent a lot of time on, I'm still just grazing over. So I'm going to obviously come back. But I just wanted to give everybody just a a little little sprinkling of what's out there in New Mexico, because there really is a lot. Just like the Kimo Theater. This theater opened its doors on September 19th, 1927, and has had its fair share of unfortunate events. In 1951, a boy named Bobby Darnell lost his life due to an explosion in the basement, causing damage to the original lobby. Some have spotted this young boy wearing a striped shirt and blue jeans playing on the staircase in the lobby. However, he was also known for causing mischief by tripping actors and creating disruptions during performances. It's a real-life Phantom of the Opera. I love that damn play, and it's a crime that it's closed. A crime. To pacify his spirit, the cast has taken to hanging donuts on the water pipe behind the stage along the theater's back wall. That would calm me down. The Luna Otero Mansion is situated in the nearby suburb of Los Lunas, which is really not Albuquerque, but it's close enough, is famous for its delicious steaks, spicy chili, and delectable desserts. Mm -mm. However, in 1881, the mansion-turned-restaurant has gained its notoriety for being more than just about food, 
The resident ghosts are also a well-known aspect of the establishment. Just punched myself in the head if you heard that. Um, many visitors, because I speak, when I speak, I speak with my hands a lot. If you could see what's happening here, it's chaos. Uh, many visitors reported seeing the ghost of just oh boy, Josefita. Oh, that wasn't as hard as I thought. Josefita Otero on the second floor and stairway. Guests have also experienced unexplained movements of chairs and heard pots and pans rattling in the kitchen despite no one being present. I'm really proud of myself. I haven't struggled as much in this episode that I thought I was gonna. When I was going through it and you know putting the research together and writing these out, I was like, oh boy, there's a lot of you know pronunciations here, a lot of ethnic pronunciations here. That oh, Chrissy boy, if you know if you've been sticking around a while, you know that uh. I sure do struggle. Oh boy, do I. But it's been all right. I know that last name, Ruiz, Ruiz, is gonna, that's, someone's gonna get me. I can't roll my tongue. What do you want me to do? I know how to pronounce it. What, what do you want from me? I can't do it. Sorry. The renowned Maria Teresa restaurant, originally constructed in 1783 by Salvatore Armijo. Armijo. That's right. Not, I don't pronounce the J. See, I know that but I just can't do it. My tongue doesn't move that way. Anywho, the restaurant is now housed in a picturesque old hacienda. Regrettably, I don't know for who, not for me. This kind of makes me more interested, but it holds the title of being one of New Mexico's most notorious haunted sites. Numerous individuals have reported sightings of four distinct spirits roaming the establishment at different times. The eerie activity includes a piano mysteriously playing by itself, employees being touched by unseen forces, and apparitions appearing in mirrors, unexplained voices, and cutlery and furniture moving without explanation. Seeing things in mirrors, really, you could, a ghost can pop out of a corner, jump out from under my bed, a closet. Do ghosts sit under beds? I don't know. But if I see you in the mirror, I can't. Mirrors really freak me out. Even when I'm just, like, when I go into my, my, uh, I have a powder room off my kitchen. And, you know, it's a small, just little, you know, sink and toilet kind of a thing. But anytime, even if I go in there just to wash my hands, I, I will not leave the door open. Because the door, right behind the door, the mirror is directly across from the door. So when I look into the mirror, I see out into the hallway. And I just can't do that. Will not do it. I cl have to, I close the door behind me. Most of the time I even lock it, too. That's just a little tick that I have. I always, anytime I go in, my wife's like, why are you locking the door? What's, what are you doing? You're just washing your hands. I have to. They'll get me in there. And I know it. Like, I could open the door and there could be a monster standing on the other side. Just be like, hi, excuse me. But if they pop up in the mirror, nope, not me. Chrissy's got to go. Located about 15 miles north of Albuquerque, now that I let you all into what kind of mental disorders I have, Let's continue. Located about 15 miles north of Albuquerque in Corrales, New Mexico, Rancho de Corrales is a charming old hacienda that was constructed in 1801 by Diego Montoya. Wait a minute. Did someone kill his father? Oh, no, that's Inigo Montoya, not Diego. Ah, maybe Diego was the father. Prepared to die. I love that movie. With its thick walls and heavily timbered ceilings, this sprawling adobe home offered a tranquil escape surrounded by orchards. 
However, everything changed when Luis and Luisa Umberto purchased this property in 1883. Just five years after moving in, the peaceful atmosphere was shattered by a brutal shootout. It all began when Luis discovered his wife's infidelity and moved out of the hacienda, vowing to return and kill both her and her lover. In April of 1898, he followed through with his promise and fatally shot his wife twice. After an armed posse surrounded the hacienda, Luis was killed in a gun battle that followed. The couple's remains were not buried in the church cemetery because of the scandalous circumstances of their death. They were buried across the irrigation ditch from the church. It is believed that the restless couple continue to frequent the restaurant turned hacienda today. Among the reported activities are objects that move by themselves, disembodied voices, and a woman dressed in 1800s clothing. Others have heard the sound of midnight parties in the old hacienda. Now, a lot of these hauntings all have a lot of things similar to themselves. Disembodied voices, things moving by themselves, and women in period attire. Now, that leads to the question. Are these all specific ghosts? Or is one entity haunting Albuquerque and the surrounding area? Something to think about. The Wool Warehouse Theater Restaurant is a National Historic Landmark. Originally constructed in 1829 as the New Mexico headquarters of prominent wool businessman Frank Bond. Designed by T. Charles Gastra, who had recently returned from Egypt, the building features strong Egyptian influences. Today, it is part of the Doubletree Hotel Complex and encompasses approximately 5,000 square feet on the second floor. Interestingly, during performances, a well-dressed man in a cream-colored double-breasted suit has been rumored to make an appearance on stage. Many believe this spirit to be Mr. Bond himself, although he seems quite pleasant and he can also be seen happily observing productions from the side stage. There is, however, a belief that the stairs behind the stage that lead to the basement have a malevolent spirit. Some employees have reported feeling pushed by unseen hands, being grabbed by something or someone, and hearing strange noises coming from the walls. Other paranormal activities reported include feeling hot and cold spots, being watched, and moving items mysteriously. There's some people who refuse to even enter the basement. All right, let's throw in one more. Last but certainly not least, because if I continue to go down this list of places in Albuquerque and the surrounding area, I will just, this episode will be forever. I have to draw the line somewhere for me to continue with the other thing I want to talk about, which is probably the most obvious thing that you would talk about if you're talking about New Mexico. But before I get there, let's talk about the Zillings building. I think that's how you pronounce it. There's a lot of X's. Zillings building. That's what I'm going to go with. If you're from New Mexico and I'm saying it wrong, which I most likely am, reach out to me and let me know. Yell at me in the comments of uh, Spotify or on uh, Apple or email me. A lot of people like to email me to yell at me. You don't do it in public, which I appreciate. This building was a mental health hospital in the past, but today it serves as a technology development center. Staff members report mysterious banging sounds throughout the building, groans heard in the courtyard, and whispers in the back of the building. Shadowy figures have also been seen moving through the hallways as well as objects that seem to move on their own. Albuquerque, you are a wild place. 
Hey, folks. Um, just wanted to stop in and say hello. Stop in. Like, I wasn't here the whole time. It's like, where am I stopping in from? I'm, uh, you've been listening to me. So it's not like I'm just, you weren't listening to someone else. It's like, hey, just Chris stopping in. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's been a really long October. I've been very busy, as you can imagine. You would think having, like, a, a podcast about spooky stuff would keep your Octobers easy. No, no, no. That's the time when people want to be scared, and I have to deliver. So anyway, I have some exciting news. The Nightmare Collective. I said it's going to launch the last couple of days of October. That has been pushed up. The Nightmare Collective will now release on October 17th. This is probably out after that. Oh, boy. This is how good I am at things. Well, anyway, if you're listening to this, I think this is releasing on the 23rd. So the odds are the Nightmare Collective has been released already, and there's a new episode, episode number two, coming out tomorrow on the 24th. Um, First episode was released on the 17th. The Nightmare Collective, the link is in the description. That's where all of my fiction stories are going. We've been having a ball writing them. It's this four people who have been, who are behind the Nightmare Collection. We're the authors, we're the creators. We have an amazing talent pool of voice actors that we use. And um, yeah, so most of my stories I'm gonna narrate myself. I'm also gonna narrate some of my other cohort stories, but you know, they, you know, when you're creating something, you have a picture in your head of who you want to speak it and what it'll sound like. And for a majority of the time, it's not me, but for them. But for me, it's always me because I write in my voice for better or worse. So yeah, I just wanted to tell you is that. So be on the lookout for that. The link again is in the show notes. And uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being so great. And yeah, let's uh, continue with New Mexico. Love you. Later. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. 
Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Besides its historic contingent of Indians, Spaniards, Longhorn cattle, chili farmers, and cowboys, Roswell, New Mexico experienced something new during the hot summer of 1947. And it wasn't arriving along the usual dusty trail, but rather, it came from the sky. Unidentified flying objects filled the Roswell skies and skies all over America that summer. There were hundreds of reports of flying saucers across the country after Kenneth Arnold reported seeing a disc-shaped object near Mount Rainer in Washington. Nevertheless, Roswell was to become home to one of these mysterious objects, disrupting its quiet peace and making it an immediate destination for all researchers, military personnel, and curiosity seekers. In 1947, William Mack Brazel rode out to the J.B. Forster Ranch to check his stock. His neighbor Floyd and Loretta Proctor's son rode along with him. Nearly 200 yards later, the pair discovered a large amount of strange debris. Due to its brightly glittering tinfoil-like material, rubber-like strips, and bits of thick paper, Brazel didn't know what to make of it. Brazel also found a shallow trench that had been gouged into the land several hundred feet long. But he had a job to do, so he ignored the strange fragments and went about his business. After he returned home from work, he told his wife about it. And a couple of weeks later, on July 4th, 1947, they returned to the scene with their 14-year-old daughter, Betty. On the next day, he showed some of the properties to the neighboring proctors. This was the first time he had heard about the many flying saucers that locals had reported seeing in the area. On Monday, July 7th, he visited Sheriff George Wilcox in town and informed him of the discovery. Wilcox then notified the Roswell Army Airfield, who dispatched Major Jesse Marcel of Intelligence and Sheridan Cavett from Counterintelligence to examine the findings. They all went back to the ranch together, where they collected some of the materials before bringing it back to the base. The Army also secured the area while they removed the wreckage. The following afternoon, Lieutenant Walter Hout, public information officer for the Roswell Airfield, compiled with the orders from base commander Colonel Blanchard and issued a press release. The statement confirmed that a flying disc had been discovered by a local rancher sometime during the previous week. It also mentioned that the remains of the object were retrieved by the intelligence office and sent to higher headquarters. In a similar time frame, United Press published an article stating that individuals living near the ranch had witnessed a strange blue light at around 3 a.m. several days earlier. These two reports sparked widespread commotion as reported flooded phone lines in New Mexico, the Pentagon, and Washington, D.C., all seeking additional information. In just a few hours, Brigadier General Roger Ramey, chief of the 8th Air Force of Fort Wadsworth, Texas, claimed that the first release was untrue and that the object retrieved was nothing more than a weather balloon attached to a radar target. The second press release appeared in the press on July 9th. Later, he would add that the balloon was a foil-covered box kite with no identification markings or instruments. As a result, Brazel was astounded. He had previously found two weather balloons on the ranch, but neither looked like the debris he found in June of 1947. Meanwhile, 
Roswell was experiencing another strange event. The mortuary officer at the Army base called the Ballard Funeral Home several times one afternoon. Glenn Dennis, a young mortician, answered the calls and was asked where they could obtain her medically sealed coffins. Additionally, they asked Dennis how they could preserve bodies without contaminating them after they were exposed to the elements for a few days. After driving to the base hospital that evening, Dennis saw several large pieces of wreckage, including strange engravings sticking out of the back of a military ambulance, and was clearly curious. After visiting a nurse he knew at the hospital, he was suddenly compelled to leave by military police. In spite of this, Dennis made plans to meet with the nurse the next day, who informed him of several strange little bodies that had been discovered. Just a few days later, the nurse was allegedly transferred to England, and her whereabouts are unknown to this day. A rancher at Corona, Bud Payne, tried to round up a stray in the area where Brazel had found the debris, but he was spotted by military personnel and escorted away. On July 4, 1947, the military detected an unidentified object on the ground after watching it on the radar for four days in southern New Mexico. In support of this report, an eyewitness living east of Roswell, William Woody, claimed to have witnessed the same evening a brilliant object plunge to the ground. The military personnel cordoned off the crash site when he and his father tried to find it. Major Jesse Marcel of Roswell's Army Counterintelligence Corps was assigned to investigate Mac Brazel's account. Upon arrival, he expressed his belief that any object may have been exploded in the air and then fallen to the ground. In reference to the scattered debris, he observed that it consisted of durable material resembling tinfoil. He further stated that he was uncertain of its nature, both at the time and currently, as it did not appear to be from any type of aircraft, weather balloon, or experimental device. Drawing on his experience with rockets launched at White Sands Testing Ground, he concluded that it bore no resemblance to an aircraft, missile, or rocket part. In a later statement, Retired Brigadier General Thomas DeBose, the Chief of Staff for the 8th Air Force, said it was a cover story. That was part of the story we were told to tell the public and the news, and that was it. According to General DeBose, he was personally ordered by Washington to start the cover-up. There were numerous inconsistencies in the report. Military and civilian witnesses provided very different accounts on what they had seen, none of which supported the Air Force's base description of a weather balloon. Later stories emerged that the military had also received an intact alien aircraft, complete with alien bodies, and these reports are known as the Area 51 cover-up. Some UFO proponents believe that the craft was struck by lightning or collided with two alien spacecrafts mid-flight. Many Americans believe that aliens have visited our planet, especially nowadays, and Roswell is the location of a UFO crash, despite the government's denials. Regardless, it is undeniable that the mystery surrounding UFOs, particularly the infamous Roswell incident, captures the interest of both Americans and the rest of the world. In 1991, two key witnesses from the incident, Walter Hout and Glenn Dennis, came together to establish a museum with the goal of educating the public. With help from a local real estate developer, these men were able to bring their vision to life. Over the course of its first four years in operation, the International UFO Museum and Research Center welcomed approximately 150,000 guests. 
As a hub for gathering and safeguarding literature on the Roswell incident of 1947 and other puzzling occurrences linked to UFO studies, the museum experienced such remarkable growth that it became New Mexico's premier tourist spot. In 1996, as the number of visitors continued to rise, the museum relocated and was reestablished with advanced interactive features. The museum showcases the history of the event, alleged debris, allegations of civilians being threatened by the U.S. Army, and depictions of UFOs. A UFO festival is held annually in Roswell, New Mexico, which has become synonymous with UFOs and unexplained phenomena. This building was built in 1872 by Henry Lambert and originally called Lambert's Inn in Cimarron, New Mexico. During Cimarron's wilder days, its saloon, restaurant, and 43 rooms witnessed 26 murders. As attested by the numerous bullet holes in the main dining room ceiling, Clay Allison, Black Jack Ketchum, Jesse James, and Buffalo Bill Cody all left their mark on the St. James. A recommendation by Ulysses S. Grant led Henry to become President Abraham Lincoln's personal chef before he made his way out to New Mexico. When the president was assassinated in 1865, Henry made his way west to search for gold. When he finally settled in Elizabethtown, New Mexico, he opened a saloon and a restaurant instead of finding gold. During this time, Lucy and B. Maxwell owned Elizabethtown, Cimarron, and much of the surrounding area. The Maxwell Land Grant was the largest land grant ever issued in the United States. When Maxwell sold the grant in 1870, the new Land Grant Company men discovered that the French chef, Henry Lambert, was working in Elizabethtown and enticed him to come to Cimarron. It opened in 1872 as the Lambert Inn. The saloon quickly gained a reputation as a place of violence, where it is said that 26 men were shot and killed within its walls during a time when law and order was non-existent. Following a killing in Cimarron, the first question was asked, who was killed at Lambert's last night? And another favorite expression was, it appears Lambert had himself another man for breakfast. As a result of its popularity with cowboys, traders, miners, and travelers along the Santa Fe Trail, Henry added guest rooms in 1880 and soon the hotel was considered one of the most elegant hotels west of the Mississippi. On their way to Tombstone, Arizona, Wyatt Earp, Morgan, and their wives stayed at the St. James for three nights. On multiple occasions, Jesse James stayed at the St. James, always staying in room 14 and signing the registry using an alias, R.H. Howard. Bob Ford, Jesse James' nemesis, and would-be killer also stayed there. A goat ranch manager for Lucy and Maxwell for a short period of time, Buffalo Bill Cody met Annie Oakley at the hotel and began preparing and rehearsing their Wild West show with her. Buffalo Bill nicknamed Henry's son Fred Cyclone Dick because he was born in a blustery snowstorm, and he was asked to be Fred's godfather shortly afterward. As Fred Lambert grew older, Buffalo Bill would be the first to teach him how to use guns. Fred Lambert spent his entire life upholding the law as Cimarron Sheriff, member of the tribal police and territorial marshal. A village of Indians from the Cimarron area was taken with Buffalo Bill and Anne Lee Oakley when they left Cimarron to take their show on the road. 
Its guests included Matt Masterson, Jack Black, Tom Ketchum, General Sheridan, Doc Holliday, Billy the Kid, Clay Allison, Pat Garrett, Frederick Remington, Governor Lou Wallace, and Zane Gray, among many others. Later renamed the St. James, the hotel continues to serve travelers to this day. Cimarron's popularity dwindled, and the elegant St. James Hotel fell into disrepair when the railroads came through, and the gold in the area began to play out. A double layer of heavy wood protected anyone sleeping upstairs from being killed when Henry Lambert's sons, Fred and Jean, replaced the roof of the Lambert Inn in 1901. More than 400 bullet holes were found in the ceiling above the bar. The dining room ceiling still bears 22 bullet holes today. Henry Lambert died in 1913. His wife, Mary E. Lambert, died in 1926. Over the years, the old hotel has been occupied and passed from owner to owner. In 1985, it was restored to its former luxury. It has also been updated in the last decade or so, in case you're interested in heading out there. A number of restless spirits are said to inhabit the St. James Hotel. Several psychics have visited the hotel and identified these spirits, in addition to many others who pass through to relive their experiences. Both the hotel owners and guests claim that it is haunted by many unexplained events. The hotel's second floor is known for its frequent occurrences of unexplainable phenomena, such as cold spots and the smell of cigar smoke in the halls, although smoking is prohibited in the hotel. According to a former manager, these occurrences are often felt or heard rather than seen. Additionally, a previous owner has described seeing a friendly cowboy reflected in the bar's mirror while walking into the dining room. Oh boy, there we go, mirror stuff again. The hotel's spiritual activity has been showcased on popular television programs like Unsolved Mysteries and A Current Affair. There is a ghost that haunts room 18 of the hotel, who was shot from behind and slowly bled to death after winning the hotel poker game. The room is still plagued by Wright's ghost, filled with negative energy and dislike for visitors. A previous owner experienced being shoved to the ground while in the room, and also witnessed a fiery orange orb hovering in the upper corner. The room's sparse furnishings include a bed frame, coat rack, rocking chair, and bureau, decorated as an homage to the Wild West. Atop the bureau rests various items, such as a Jack Daniels bottle, basin and pitcher, playing cards, tobacco tin, and shot glasses. Hanging on the wall is a poorly executed painting of a scantily clad woman. There are rumors that several mysterious deaths have occurred in these rooms, which is considered to be the most haunted by the staff. People are rarely allowed to enter the room, much less sleep in it. There has been a lot of sightings of Henry's second wife, Mary Elizabeth, who died in December of 1926 and is said to remain at the hotel as a protector. She has ties to the St. James after all. Mary gave birth to her children there, and she died there. There is often the scent of Mary's rose-scented perfume in her old room. Sometimes an insistent tapping is heard when the window is open and will not stop until it's closed. On other occasions, a milky, transparent woman can be seen in the hallways. There has always been a dwarf-like old man seen at the hotel. The spirit, who's nicknamed Little Imp by the hotel staff, is very mischievous, always playing tricks and laughing at them. It has been said that he stuck a knife in the floor between two owners of the old inn on one occasion 
but often he is accused of mysterious disappearance of objects found in unexplained places. Staff report that items continually fall off walls and shelves, and other electrical equipment at the front desk behaves unpredictably. Other unknown entities also roam the hotel, creating a host of paranormal activities. Cold spots have been reported throughout the historic inn. Lights that seem to switch on by themselves, feeling of being watched by unseen eyes, and cameras that cease working inside the hotel but return to normal after leaving. In 2002, while working at the front desk, college student Cody Mutz heard a high-pitched shriek coming from the far corner of the lobby. When he glanced up abruptly from his work, he was dumbfounded to find no one. Looking around, he saw three other guests mingling on the other side of the lobby. Having not heard the loud scream, they didn't seem phased. There are 13 historic rooms in the hotel, each named after a famous or infamous person who once stayed there. An additional 10 rooms have been added in an annex, with many of the hotel's original furnishings, antique chandeliers, velvet drapes, thick carpets covering its wooden floors, and brocade wallpapers, the hotel retains its historic ambience. There are no phones, radios, or televisions in the 14 rooms of the main hotel. However, the 10-room annex has all the amenities of a modern place. To maintain the historical accuracy, they even left, like I've said before, the 22 bullet holes in the ceiling of the old saloon, which is now the hotel's dining room. And it still contains its original antique bar. Upon entering this historic hotel, you will feel as if you have stepped back in time. With mounted deer and buffalo staring down at you from the lobby walls, old ledgers signed by its many famous guests, and the sounds of tinny music coming from an antique piano. Depending on your point of view, you might also encounter one of the hotel's many unearthly guests. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. I'd like to give a shout to the newest members of the Patreon, Anna and Antoine. Thank you guys so much for joining. I've said it time and time again, and I will continue to say it. Your guys' support means literally everything to me. Um, if you are interested in joining the Patreon, patreon.com slash history. We have early releases and free episodes and my version, my stories from the Nightmare Collective, as well as uh, a few other little, little fun little things that go on. All right, folks. it's uh, It's been fun. Happy October. We're getting close to Halloween. And uh, I'll see you again real soon. Later. <laughs> <laughs>